0: Hello, and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Today, we continue a fantasy file series. It's a little broader topic. I want to go through some of my top values and fades in my rankings, which you can find on pff.com compared to ADP. I think it's a really good practice out there to, you know, just every couple of weeks, take your rankings, see who you're higher on, see who you're lower on. Does that make sense to you? If not, maybe it's time to change rankings. And if it does make sense to you, hey, maybe that's something we should be valuing, fading more aggressively in drafts. So I know with a lot of these articles, or articles and, and then corresponding podcasts, I'm focusing more on a specific, you know, player or position group on a team. As you all know, you know, in the 100-question series, we do have four additional questions. You know, three per team only gives us 96. So I have four wild cards. That's why I talk about, you know, who we're going to play against aliens sometimes. And also just certain teams like the Lions, I don't know that we need to go over their quarterback and their, you know, passing game situations. In two separate podcasts. So that's why this one's a little more general. But yeah, let's basically uh, get to it then, people. Starting off, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is this year's premier late-round quarterback. I've been on the record with that for a while. And the first, the only reason why I wasn't saying that was because Ryan Tannehill had an ADP as like the QB 16 until everyone finally wised up once they got Julio Jones. So that kind of made it a little easy. But otherwise, I still think it's Fitzpatrick. Right now, he has an ADP as the QB 23. He is my QB 16. Basically, the reasoning comes down to we've only seen this guy be a QB 1 over the past three seasons, which is the sample size. We should be working off of most directly in 2018. Fancy QB one in weeks one through three while Jameis was suspended. 2019, he was the QB two in weeks seven through 17 upon taking over full time from Josh Rosen. In 2020, he was the QB eight in weeks one through six before "quote unquote" losing the job to Tua. I'm not down on Tua in the future necessarily, but Fitzpatrick was just objectively better in the exact same offense last year, and we saw him have to bail this team out on multiple occasions. So. Bits moving into this year, we got Terry, Curtis, Logan, Diami, Gibson, McKissick. Plenty of places to go with the football. Logan Thomas. Yeah. Okay. I mentioned him. Thank God. Uh, and then, but the bigger thing is like, we finally don't have this top 10 first round quarterback that we need to worry about. Like, I don't blame the Buccaneers or the Dolphins for prioritizing Jameis, uh, you know, Rosen briefly. And then two. of last year, I don't blame them for prioritizing those guys over Fitzpatrick if, if it's at all close, or even if it's not got to find out what you have in those guys, not this aging quarterback. With that said, this is the first time we don't have that sort of player. We got, you know, the token, nose assistant backup in Kyle Allen, we got a Taysom Hill doppelganger and Steven Montez. And then the biggest competition is Taylor Heineke, who, Hey, all the credit and respect in the world to that guy for what he did in that playoff game. That's still not the only time we've seen Heineke play football. He has been been dirt average to below average every other time he's been out there not a huge sample but seriously people like Fitzpatrick if he can't beat out Heineke I'll come here and say I was wrong I think he can because he has been an above average quarterback for the past three years and much more than an above average quarterback in fantasy land so Fitzpatrick in my opinion is a guy being priced far closer to his floor than his ceiling, literally, you know, low end, barely even a QB two. And I think if we had to assume he's a starter and say, where are we going to rank him in week one? We see him much closer to that QB one borderline where he probably should be ranked closer to as it is. Now my main quarterback fade is unfortunately, look, I don't want to fade anyone. I would love for every single player in the league to be great. That's why we always say, you know, don't hate players, hate ADPs. And I am not liking Trevor Lawrence's ADP people he is going off the board as the QB 14 right now I have him as a QB 19 I see the path to success he checks the boxes all of our past rookie QB ones have been able to do and we've only had let's see if I can rip them off there's been seven Kyler Murray Russell Wilson Dak Prescott RG three Justin Herbert just got there. Cam Newton and Andrew Andrew Luck. There we go. That's a seven. All those guys, except Herbert, started in week one. They all averaged at least 25 rushing yards per game. As we saw with Herbert, week two, much more athletic than he was used at Oregon. So Lawrence checks those boxes. He's going to be out there week one. and He was a great rusher at uh, Clemson, even if he's not you know, necessarily going to be used like a version of JT Barrett. I mean, Fields and Lance, I think we all rightfully expect to be used more as pure rushers than Lawrence. So I'm not saying he couldn't get this done but at what point are we giving any sort of faith in this jack wires offense we got one just controversial and puzzling decision after another from urban meyer throughout this whole offseason we had you know a chance for a team with so much cap space all this high-end draft capital to really add some legit weapons to this offense we came away with marvin jones tim tebow and travis Etienne, and i'm not even hating on marvin jones and etm per se but considering the possibilities we were telling ourselves in march this is why i've soured on lawrence throughout the entire you know offseason he still Still very well could be the next big thing at quarterback. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with the idea that he's this generational quarterback prospect. I am thinking though, that urban Myers first year might not be that great, particularly if he's going to be as involved in the offense, as it seems like he will be, you know, based on this ETN slash news and all that. So Trevor Lawrence, I won't disagree with anyone that still wants to make him the dynasty QB one. Personally, I would go with Trey Lance. And I think in redraft, already buying him as a borderline QB one. I can't do it. Give me guys like, you know, Stafford, Burrow, Brady, all those guys in that range and the rookie quarterbacks and Fitzpatrick, Matt Ryan, all these guys I'm taking over Trevor Lawrence this year. Maybe I'll be wrong. Again, I see the pathway of success. If everything goes right for him, suddenly though, we need a lot more things to go right than Lawrence. And I think we were hoping for back when he was drafted in April some quick honorable mentions. I'm a little bit higher on Sam Darnold and Zach Wilson than I expected, which is wild because I kind of rip apart Darnold uh, every other podcast, it seems like on here. But when they're going as QB31, QB30 guys, I do think you know they're reasonable enough. Uh, end of best ball draft stacking guys. Uh Trey Lance, someone that I'm also certainly higher on. And we've talked about the difference in you know rankings and projections. Trey Lance, based on 17 game projected production, probably shouldn't be going as high as he is. But when we consider who do we actually want on our team? when push comes to shove, that's when Trey Lance is your guy. Baker Mayfield, also someone I've made a priority in the later rounds of drafts. After that weird uh, three-game, just weather stretch we had last year, he was the QB 13, QB 3, QB 3, QB 12, QB 26 in the Jets game, where they didn't have wide receivers, and QB 22 against Pittsburgh to end the season. So, Baker, we've had multiple stints of him being – and near every week QB one, I think with a healthy version of OBJ going the second year in the Kevin Stefanski offense, all the arrows are pointing out for Baker uh, a couple other guys. I'm just a little down on Mac Jones. And again, it's, he's going so low anyway. It's not a huge hot take, but I just think even if he gets out there sooner rather than later, we just haven't seen him have anything resembling the sort of brushing upside that we've seen from past uh, successful rookie quarterbacks and Matthew Stafford. I'm just a couple spots uh, lower than consensus. I must borderline QB one. I'm not down on the guy. When I see him going top 10, though, I'm a little concerned about the overall volume. This could be an offense we see that, you know, ranked top five and running the ball, but they're also not necessarily going to be that much of a pass happy offense, particularly if that defense continues to look like one of the best units in the league with Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald. I'll just take guys like Tom Brady, Joe Burrow ahead of Stafford because of the potential to have, you know, an extra hundred dropbacks on the season. Moving right along to running back, my top value is Buffalo Bills running back Zach Moss. You know, we've talked about the problems that rushing quarterbacks can have on their running backs. And we've seen that with Josh Allen, only Lamar Jackson has more rush attempts than Allen since 2018. And nobody has more scores on the ground at the position. I mean, literally people, the only guys with more rushing touchdowns than Josh Allen since 2018. Derrick Henry, Todd Gurley, Alvin Kamara, Aaron Jones, Dalvin Cook, Nick Chubb, Christian McCaffrey, Melvin Gordon. That's it. So overall, Bill's running backs have had the NFL's fourth fewest total rush attempts inside the 10-yard line since 2018. And unfortunately, this has also impacted their receiving workload. They are again fourth to last while looking at total targets over the past three seasons. Instead of, you know, dumping the ball down, Josh Allen chucks it deep or runs. It's great for his fantasy stock, not so much with the running backs. But with all that said, I do think Moss could eventually take over because is the Pills are about to have, you know, nine digits worth of reasons to uh, not maybe give Allen quite as much work near the goal line. And it has been designed a lot. It's not necessarily Allen just saying, you know, I'm going to run the, run this ball myself. He does that sometimes, but removing scrambles from the equation, only Lamar Jackson and Cam Newton have more design rush attempts inside the 10 yard line than Allen since 2018. So Again, hundreds of millions of reasons to limit this. We got Moss being the guy where we got the athletics, Joe uh, Brusca, G- G- oh man, I messed up his name. Sorry, Joe, but he noted in his excellent preview on the bills fantasy targets that Moss was the preferred option in eight games where injuries weren't a factor last year. And if anyone's going to take it over, it's going to be him, not Devin Singletary. We saw this, you know, over the last two years, really where when Singletary, you know, he doesn't get necessarily get the full every down role, particularly in terms of touches when Frank Gore or Zach Moss missed time, we would see TJ Yeldon who wasn't usually active come up and then start to split touches. So Zach Moss to me, where he's going is just far closer to his floor than his ceiling. If the bills start to kind of change this offense around in feature more of a true RB one, not to completely, you know, piss on the Jaguars this whole po- podcast, but my top fade at running back is James Robinson. We're looking at best case scenario for Robinson, I believe as the lead early down back in a three back committee and to see him have an ADP, at least in this source as the RB 25, we just can't get behind this anymore people. And I'm hoping this is just being more influenced by some of the, you know, pre-April drafts, but he's my RB 34. I just think ETN is going to lead this backfield and touches targets rush attempts, everything ETN only played 84 total snaps. I believe in the slot or out wide during his 55 games at Clemson. So I get that. He's probably going to get a couple of design looks in the slot out wide. You know, urban's calling him slash and all that with that said projecting him to be a full-time receiver, I think is just a little bit of a large uh, leap to faith. We're taking that from basically an OTA quote from urban Meyer talking about how they want to help him out as a receiver. What that tells me is that ETN already is getting the backfield's targets now, which leaves what for Robinson, it's going to be likely an early down committee of sorts between him and Carlos Hyde. I'm not saying Carlos Hyde is even in Robinson's stratosphere at this point as a real life talent, but he's not bad. And Carlos Hyde is the one that scored 35 touchdowns in 21 games with urban freaking Meyer calling plays in 2012, 2013. So I think the t- if the Tebow and the Hyde and these signings tell us anything, it's that urban is doing a little bit of that typical, you know, I want my guys that uh, used to play for me type of a uh, stick here with his uh, potential death chart. So, James Robinson, if ETN gets hurt or Hyde gets hurt, like we're looking a little bit better. I just think right now to be paying a you know low-end potential borderline RB2 price for someone whose team just drafted a first round running back, it's just far too much. ETN is the guy that's gonna be taking over this backfield if anyone, not James Robinson some honorable mentions. We went through the ha- uh, handcuffed landscape a couple episodes ago. Basically, I'm higher on the likes of A.J. Dillon, Joshua Kelly, Jamal Williams, and Samaje Perine than most. I just think each of those guys are one injury away from potentially having a huge role, even if you don't necessarily love their uh, just general uh, football ability. Wayne Gallman, I think, has a pretty wide range of outcomes. Maybe he doesn't even make the roster, or maybe the athletic report saying he was the RB2 when OTAs open ends up being true. So, you know, in these kind of crowded backfield, Patriots Shanahan the usual lesson we have take the cheapest one right now that's Wayne Gallman uh Devontae Williams I find myself you know still treating as a low-end RB2 I just don't see Melvin Gordon staying all that consistently involved you know he's a prime example of when to you know look at points per game instead of t- total points on last year because much more of a you know back end actually a high-end RB3 I believe he finished on a per game basis as opposed to the high-end RB2 when he grew up in all the games I just think with the late season DUI him not being and not being all that impressive in general. Like they drafted Javante Williams, just like the Jaguars drafted uh ETN for a reason. It's to get fed the rock. So both Javante and ETN, I think, are values because we're already looking at them having usable at worst flex roles. If nothing changes, if nothing goes their way in the backfield, if things do go their way, they become featured backs in uh, you know, not great offenses, but featured backs with plenty of volume. Some guys I'm fading, Mark Ingram and Marlon Mack, players that I think will have roles in their respective committees. Just just never going to have anything enough to make themselves uh, legit fancy options. I'm a little bit down on James Conner. People seem to be hyping them, hyping themselves up into this guy uh, this year. And I understand all the goal line stuff. I told you guys those uh, cool stats a few episodes ago, Chase Edmonds, only one career carry inside the five. James Conner has been one of the higher graded running backs in those opportunities. With that said, Edmonds is the guy that's been there. Conner's contract is nothing that you would make us think that, you know, they need to pay him. Money's not exactly talking there. And Conner, like, as much as those goal line carries might be useful, Chase Edmonds is the one still seemingly set to get a lot of the fancy family receptions. So fingers crossed that Rondale Moore isn't going to eat too much into the Edmonds uh, receiving opportunity. If he doesn't, I still think Edmonds is definitely the uh, running back to get in Arizona. I mentioned why I'm low on Elvin Gordon. Uh, Josh Jacobs also falls into my, you know, quote unquote fade category. I just think that even though he might be underrated in terms of pure rushing ability, he's the Raiders aren't happy enough with it. That's why they brought in Kenyon Drake. That's why Jalen Rashard is still there. We've never seen him get the targets that we know he warrants, as terms of what he showed at Alabama. And now with Drake potentially being just an even bigger uh, number two running back than they've had during his time there, I just think we're looking at a guy that, unless you can get, you know, in the back half of the RB twenty range, uh, I'm just not going to be coming away with much in fantasy drafts this year. You mentioned Devin Singletary as someone that just doesn't get the full job, even if Moss gets hurt. I think the same thing applies for. JD McKissick led the position in targets last year, which is obviously great and all with that said, his issue was that 51 of those position high came in the slaughter out wide. Now we got Curtis Samuel, Adam Humphreys, Diami Brown, plenty of reasons and not even talking about the potential for Antonio Gibson. Just take a leap forward. Plenty of reasons why McKissick will not have that same fantasy friendly role in 2021. At wide receiver, my top value against ADP is Jalen Waddle, my wide receiver 32, ADP wide receiver 46. I don't know why he's not getting the same love as Devontae and Jamar Choice and, and Jamar Chase, excuse me, at this point. I mean, I know Will Fuller could be the number one, so could Devontae Parker, but Waddle's the one that just got the number six overall draft capital. And he's projected to be the guy in the slot. And we saw Lynn Bowden have this role at the end of last season, and it produced 7.8 targets per game for the guy. So Waddle, you know, there was a report from a certain uh, Miami beat writer who is infamous for not really being a very good beat writer. I'm not going to throw him too far under the bus. There was a report saying that Waddle was limping, and people quickly shot that down. So if we're getting the healthy version of Waddle, which having this whole offseason and based on what we've heard from the Dolphins, we have reason to believe, we're looking at a receiver with, again, elite draft capital, slaughtered him for an immediate starting role with his former collegiate teammate under center being priced as a borderline wide receiver four. That's something I'm interested in. And again, it's just what could we get from Waddle at his ceiling compared to where he's being drafted i think i don't think anyone would be that shocked if the number six overall pick from the draft is a top 30 receiver in fantasy land last year and if he's not like okay where we're drafting him right now that's not ruining your draft either so drafting jamar chase in round four or five that could potentially ruin your draft if you know things go south for him as a rookie the targets are too crowded and maybe he just struggles, you know, the guy's 21 years old or whatever. It wouldn't be the first time a highly thought after a receiver can't produce. Jamar Chase needs to be great in order to meet his ADP. Waddle just needs to be good to beat his ADP. And those are the types of situations we should be looking at in those, you know, middle to later rounds of drafts. I am leaning towards fading Adam Thielen a bit more this year. Look, I was all over him last year. He was my wide receiver six. I was well ahead of the industry on it. I just think I got lucky with that ultimately because of how many touchdowns this dude score. I didn't see Justin Jefferson being arguably the greatest rookie receiver ever. So that's on me, but looking at Thielen in 2017, 2018, he had target totals exceeding 140 last year, 7.2 targets per game. I mean, again, 2017 was 8.9 2018 was 9.6, but Dylan had those 14 touchdowns. So, you know, I, I hate being the guy. It's like, Oh, regression, 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 but come on, he's not going to score 14 touchdowns on 108 targets again. So Dylan turning 31 in August, the, game remains condensed around him and Jefferson. I just wouldn't be surprised if we see Jefferson start to grow out of that even a little bit more and not that, you know, Thielen's going to fall off a cliff next year, but I'd rather not use top 20 draft capital. It's position on a guy that's probably going to be his team's number two wide receiver. He's still going to run first offense and father time is eventually going to start working against him a bit more. Going through some honorable mentions. Traquan Smith, I'm a little bit higher on just because he's projected to be a number two wide receiver for the Saints and the public just does not seem to care about that. If Jameis wins that job, I certainly think we could see more than one fancy, relevant wide receiver out of New Orleans. Same thing is true to a lesser extent for Alamide Zacchaeus uh, with the Falcons. I do think Gage and Kyle Pitts will work ahead of him. But again, when these guys are just as cheap and free as they are, they become values. Scotty Miller has already been one of my favorite late round best ball picks. We want to talk about wide receiver forehand cuffs i mean scotty i think has a case to be made that he's right there at the top of the list uh jacoby myers and nelson Aguilar are guys that are popping for me as well like no i didn't consider myself a jacoby myers stand until i found out that the public is drafting 75 receivers before this guy i mean even if it's cam newton over mac jones i know we got the tight ends there but when Aguilor and myers are this cheap we're going to see the patriots have a top 50 wide receiver in fancy land and those are your best options and when they're not being priced even among the top 65 players that's when it becomes a value people two Atwell and Dwayne Eskridge they're not even being priced in the top 100 players even though they have good draft capital and they have seemingly pretty easy pass into their teams uh, three wide receiver sets I know it's not going to be easy they each have you know two alpha wide receivers in the offense to share with but again just based on the rank versus the ADP I do think these rookies are uh, you know setting up pretty nicely uh, talked about Tyler Boyd he's one of my you know favorite overall values I could have easily subbed him and for Jalen Waddle I just think the fact he's going ten the 15 wide receiver slots behind Higgins and chase doesn't make any sense when we're projecting them all for a similar amount of targets. Uh, also would say KJ Hamler being so far on the outside between Corlin Sutton and Jerry Judy doesn't make a ton of sense. Seems like the clock's about to strike midnight on, you know, the potential for Aaron Rodgers to take his talents elsewhere. Uh, with that said Hamler, if that, you know, scenario does come to fruition, he, we would see his ADP absolutely skyrocket. Um, basically some guys I'm fading a little bit more relative to the ranks because I'm higher on the list two Chanel, Tutu Atwell, and KJ Hamler has me lower accordingly on DJ Chark, Deshaun Jackson, and Jerry Judy. Uh, I don't understand why Jamison Crowder is still a top 70 receiver. They signed Corey Davis to a big deal. They drafted Elijah Moore and Jamison Crowder very well could not be starting in three wide receiver sets uh, to start the year. Uh, I'm not going to be betting on aging veterans like AJ Green, Sammy Watkins, who it's I shouldn't even say aging. He's only like 27 or 28 still. Uh, Maybe we'll sign him for week one and that's it. Emmanuel Sanders uh, also just, you know, new offenses for these aging veterans, not something I'm going to invest in with too much urgency. Uh, Michael Pittman, I'm just a little down on, and maybe I'm not giving enough credit to it, but when we look at this offense, the problem last year was it was too crowded. Now we have a potential QB downgrade. Like, come on, people. Phillip Rivers was better than Carson Wentz in 2020. I don't know why this is like this hot take I've needed to explain before. It's just a fact, pull up any stat you want to, and you're going to see that that reflected. So we got a potential QB downgrade. Everyone other than Trey burden is back in this passing game. So the fact that Hilton Pascal, Paris Campbell's coming back healthy, I'm just not sure where Pittman necessarily sees more than 90 to hundred targets. Maybe he turns into the alpha. He looked really good in that playoff game. When you get the ball in his hands, good things happen. I'm just not convinced that they have these major plans to feature him ahead of everybody else. Finally get into the tight end position. My top value is Tennessee Titans tight end Anthony Ferkser. I feel like he's just, he was getting hype and then we brought in Julio Jones and we all kind of freaked out. And I don't really think that's fair. Like losing John U. Smith is still enough for Ferkser to, I think be treated as a borderline tight end one. He's my tight end 13 ADP tight end 23 just look at the Titans over the past two years in terms of just team-wide ranks targets, to the tight end, they're 12th receptions, to the tight end, they're tied for eighth receiving yards. They're eighth. touchdowns. They're fifth yards per route run. They are six. So, you know, in fantasy drafts, again, I really think you should try to get Kelsey Waller or Kittle early on, but if you can't folks or Adam Troutman at the end of this late round zone, I think makes sense because both guys, our offenses have historically really enabled their tight end well. And when you look at the competition on the roster for them, they've each lost the main pieces. And their team showed us that they're confident in Troutman, confident in Furkser by not adding other major pieces throughout the draft or free agency. So Furkser is someone that I think could easily. Maybe not lead the Titans in touchdowns, but we can see this passing game if Tannehill keeps on keeping on, enable uh, three relevant pass game options. I will be fading uh, Evan Ingram. Somehow still has an ADP as a tight end 11. He's my tight end 20. If you ever needed another reason to not give a single shit about the Pro Bowl, it's the fact that Evan Ingram somehow made the Pro Bowl in 2020. 109 targets, 63 catches, 654 yards, one receiving score. Jason Garrett also gave him six rush attempts for some reason. To Ingram's credit, one of those also ended in the end zone. But this was the thing. Ingram did all that last year as the number one pass game option in New York. Now they signed Kenny Galde to a big deal. They drafted Kadarius Toney in the first round. Saquon Barkley is back. And they gave Kyle off a two-year 12 million contract like that is not insignificant people that's legit money and so for ingram who had the second worst quarterback rating when targeted ahead of only I think Zach Ertz last season he was 45th among 49 guys in percentage of catch- catchable targets caught 43rd and drop rate 39th and PFF receiving grade like he was just a bad player last year and even if Daniel Jones experiences all sorts of positive regression starts throwing touchdowns left and right I mean there's a chance we still don't see Ingram beat his ADP because Rudolph's taking the red zone targets and Galladay and or Tony are the now featured guys getting you know Jason Garrett's already not very well designed uh plays anyway. So, I mean, for Ingram to still be getting top 12 tight end, uh, benefit the doubt. Like we saw last year, the volume was there. The health was there. Those have usually been the problems. Even when they were there, Ingram couldn't overcome it. So, Hey, maybe he gets back to looking like the better prospect that we thought he was uh, in the earlier parts of his career. But right now, just, if it was only a bet on just expecting him to get a little better than he was last year, I might be fine taking that. But now with all these extra volume questions uh, introduced, I am not in on Evan Ingram. Couple honorable mentions. Uh, Mo Ali Cox is someone that I've just, you know, ever since I had to get off the Chris Herndon train. I think Mo Ali Cox has become my favorite, you know, third tight end to round out the best ball lineups. Trey Burton's no longer in indie. Jack Doyle's another year older. I know they got their fourth round uh, receiving friendly tight end, so it's not a given that Maca takes on that lead role. But I do like him at cost. Tyler Higby didn't meet preseason expectations last year. Now the problem: Gerald Everett is gone. Stafford improving passing game. Love Higby and people. Jacob Harris chill out it's fine in dynasty this is a converted wide receiver a fourth round rookie and we think he's going to overtake tyler higby come on they've already given higby a big contract the guy is a great blocker you might not like certain things about his past uh you know about his past in terms of you know what he believes in and all that i won't get into it but just please save me the jake the idea that jacob harris could like replace tyler higby is so absurd to me maybe he is good enough to be a number two tight end like gerald everett and he limits the overall target possibility, but just actual people thinking that Higby is not going to be starting because of Jacob Harris is c- crazy to me. So we'll see if I'm wrong, you can mock me for this, but excuse me for not thinking the converted fourth round rookie uh, receiver beats out Higby. Excuse me. Uh, speaking of Gerald Everett, he also is someone I'm higher on with you know, potential to function as Russell Wilson's number one tight end. Now with Jimmy Graham, I mean, Jimmy Graham scored double digit touchdowns in that role in 2017. We just need Russ to have one tight end. We got the Shane Waldron uh, connection. LA uh, Rams, you know, ex uh, P- pass game coordinator now in Seattle. Gerald Everett has a realistic chance of making some big noise this season. Talked about Adam Troutman. Um, but yeah, you know, with Jameis Winston, we never had an issue with overall production, the tight end with Jameis. It was just that it was split up between OJ Howard and Cam Raitt. Adam Troutman, PFF's reigning number one run blocker, also showed off some goodness as a route runner. That's what he was best at at Dayton. I think Troutman could be their undisputed uh, starting tight end sooner rather than later. Cole Komet, someone that seems to be getting close to that. I mean, he was playing almost every snap by the end of 2021. His ceiling will be hurt as long as Jimmy Graham remains on the team. Still someone that I think where they're going uh, carries more upside than they're being given credit for. Rob Gronkowski is someone that I'm going to be out on this year. Another year older, wasn't the main receiving tight end when OJ Howard was healthy. And just everyone in this offense, like it's not even against Gronk. The guy just scored two touchdowns in the Super Bowl. I'm not saying he's done, but when there's Gronk, when there's OJ Howard slash Cam Brate slash, you know, Giovanni Bernard now slash maybe Fournette, so slash Goblin, AB. Evans, Tyler Johnson, Scotty Miller. There are so many places to go with the ball. I just don't see Gronk being overly relied on on a week to week basis. So to give him, you know, top 12 tight end treatment. I don't know. I just don't think he has the ceiling for much more than being a borderline tight end one. And again, people first or last, we were trying to draft for ceilings here. Uh, Jared cook landed on my aging on my ages list. I just don't think he'd look like the same caliber athlete. And even if he is the starting tight end for the chargers, I mean, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler should get more targets. I wouldn't be shocked if we see cooks target share just kind of split down the middle with Donald Parham, even uh, XFL all-star. So cook again, Best Case scenario, I think, is as the offense is number four pass game option. That's not enough for me to get behind Zach Ertz. You know, we'll, we'll you know, the, the, the trade uh, radar continues to look out. We're waiting for him to get sent to Buffalo or somewhere. I just don't think, based on how horrendous he was last year, wherever he goes, I don't see the efficiency and you know, just reason to really back him at any sort of valuation at the moment. Uh, and then Hunter Henry, John o. Smith. I would put Johnny ahead of Henry, but seeing Henry have top 10 ADP right now, very surprising to me. Only Gronk and Aaron Hernandez, as well as Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard, have functioned as top 12 tight ends in the same offense in the same season. I'm just not really betting on the Patriots in the 2021 version, at least being able to replicate that. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, as always, the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. We are a little longer on this one than usual. Good 28 minutes, but hey, you know, I want to get out some values and fades, be more specific with you guys, trying to help out, uh, you know, with the upcoming drafts that I'm hoping everyone is starting to get into. So, again, new fantasy files every single day throughout the offseason, and we're going to start getting some team previews going as we had uh, last Friday with Andrew Erickson breaking down the NFC South. Uh, We'll continue to roll through those once a week. And also, we have, uh, you know, some 10-question series coming up Hopefully some more NFL players really enjoyed talking to Antonio Gibson uh, about a week ago and also some fancy minds from around the industry. So thank you as always for tuning in until next time. Take care, everybody.